Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please enjoy the program. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a nation. 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. This Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. Thank you so much for joining us this hour. Get your passports ready because we're winging our way down under where we will catch up with our favorite Scottish apologist and he'll share his views on some of the things happening in the world today. But we're going to start with Israel. It is day 132. 132. Israel's military chief of staff says the IDF is prepared for war in the north after Israel and Hezbollah exchange strikes and counter strikes on both sides of the Israel-Lebanon border. Do your map, look at your thumb. Gaza is in the lower left-hand corner of your thumb. That that Israeli-Lebanon border is the top of your fingernail on your thumb. So that'll give you a sense. And by the way, that's a good representation because remember, Israel's about the size of the state of New Jersey. So it's not that big. But the Bible talks an awful lot about how that piece of real estate is going to become a cup of trembling to the nation. So don't ever forget to have your hands on the word and also understand what's going on in the world when it comes to the nation of Israel. So a top goal for Israel is the return of 80,000 residents in the north to their homes with security. The Biden administration continues to pursue the Beirut-Jerusalem diplomatic track with little success. Visiting former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was dancing with IDF soldiers. It was really great video to watch. He told reporters it's difficult to find solutions to any of the Middle East conflicts without looking to the source behind them all, Iran. And we've talked about this a lot. Meanwhile, closer to home, in the House of Representatives, they unanimously approved a resolution condemning Hamas for its sexual violence against women on October 7th, with one member voting president. And that is Congresswoman Rashid 
Talib. No surprise there whatsoever. I'm going to turn to my friends at CBN News. This time, Julie Stahl gives you an update. Have a listen. Israel pounded Hezbollah targets in southern Lebanon after a Hezbollah rocket barrage killed a female Israeli soldier and wounded nine others Wednesday. Reports from Lebanon say 16 were killed there. We are not finishing this without returning the residents to Metula and all the communities in the north with a very high level of security. Some 80,000 Israelis evacuated their homes in the north four months ago. IDF Chief of Staff Hertia Levy says Israel's goal is to push Hezbollah back from the border and stop the attacks and will go to war if necessary. In the city of Khan Yunis in Gaza, Israeli forces carried out an operation against Nasser Hospital today, citing credible intelligence that Hamas had held captives there and their bodies might still be inside. Talks to free the hostages broke down again, with the State Department calling some Hamas demands non-starters. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu cited the dramatic rescue of two hostages earlier this week. This is also the key to the release of most of our hostages, strong military pressure and very firm negotiations. Meanwhile, former captives and relatives of hostages held by Hamas visited the International Criminal Court in The Hague. They want prosecutors to charge and arrest Hamas leaders. We're hoping for justice uh, after October 7. We feel that there is no justice. The Hamas people, they hurt us. They murder us. They kidnap us. They raped us. We're here to make a justice. In Washington, second gentleman Douglas Emhoff, who is Jewish, co-hosted an event to raise awareness of Hamas's sexual violence against Israeli women on October 7th. Torture, genital mutilation, butchery, leaving women after they've been raped and tortured to die on the, in a ditch, all while you, you see the images of Hamas terrorists laughing and bragging about it. This happened. This happened to these women. This happened. So we have to shine a light on it. We have to shine a light on this sexual violence, this gender-based violence that happened. Yesterday, the House of Representatives overwhelmingly approved a resolution condemning rape and sexual violence by Hamas in its war against Israel. Julie Stahl, CBN News, Jerusalem. So I tell you, that's one of those bright, shining, far too rare moments of bipartisanism where, again, with one exception, and she didn't have the courage to vote no. That would have been too dangerous. So uh, Rashida Tlaib said present instead. But otherwise, you had every single member of the House voting together to condemn Hamas. Now, is it just me or is the United Nations very silent on this one? I mean, for all of their anti-Israel sentiment, why are they not speaking up about the human rights violations? That's a big thing for the U.N., human rights, right? They've even got councils dealing with human rights. So when this kind of aggression is meted out, crickets, silence. Well, again, this is where you and I as followers of Christ have a kind of clarity the rest of the world doesn't have. Going through life again with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. At its core, while this might be about Iranian eschatology bringing about the Mahdi, this is the, the end of the world, Islamic domination, while it might be Iran having a proxy war vis-a-vis -vis Hezbollah in the north, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Gaza and Hamas in the south, 
it's more than that. It is a spiritual war. It is the idea, again, that if you can eradicate the Jews, you eliminate the reality of a Jewish Messiah. Try though they may, we know because the newspaper can only tell you about yesterday's or today's news. They can't tell you about tomorrow's news. However, the Bible can. And so we know how this all ends, despite all of the animus that Israel will draw, despite the fact that she will someday be a cup of trembling. Israel, again, has played a huge place in world history in the past and will do so in the future. So I find it interesting that if you and I fail to understand the spiritual nature of this, we can get caught up in the cacophony of voices that are shouting. It isn't just about the history of that land. It isn't just about the geopolitics. It's very much about the reality that salvation came to us by way of the Jews. God chose the Jewish people. He could have done the Celts. He could have done the Picts. He could have done the Normans. He could have done a myriad of other ethnicities. He chose salvation to come by way of the Jews and accordingly for salvation to the Jews first and then the Gentile. You really have to get goosebumps when you start putting all these pieces together and see the order and the purpose and the form of what's happening all around us when you look at it through the lens of Scripture. And that's a reminder. The gospel changes everything. All right, get out your passports. This is going to be no TSA pat-downs, no turbulence whatsoever, no customs, no waiting long lines. When we come back, we're winging our way to tomorrow. I, I don't get it, but it is tomorrow in Australia. So we'll find out what tomorrow looks like when we get back. God is always at work in your life, but most of the time you can't see it or understand it. That's why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. Discover how to know what God is doing when life doesn't make sense. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. Or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Here we go. We're going to go to tomorrow, back to the future. And I guess it's uh, going to be a good day. Otherwise, my friend David Robertson wouldn't be joining us from Australia. He's working there. He pastored for years in his beautiful homeland of Scotland. The minute he opens his mouth, where he's from will become self-evident. But he was in Dundee for the longest period of time. And then the Lord called him down under. And so he's worn several hats since he's been down there. But predominantly, in a nutshell, you would say he's about advancing the gospel wherever and whenever he can. And he'll use education, media, churches, conferences, you you name it, he'll do it. He's got his own podcast, by the way. I hope you're following him on the Weefly. And he always has very astute observations through his Twitter. I'm not even going to say X. We all know it's the same thing. Twitter just sounds better than saying X. So David is also the author of several books. And the most recent I've got posted on my information page, it's called Seek. And there's a period after each letter, S-E-E-K. You'll have to get the book to find out why there's a period after each. But it was preceded by Ask, Real World Questions, Real Word Answers, predominantly for teenagers, but it kind of exploded. And grown-ups said, boy, you're answering a lot of questions I have as well. So he followed that up with Seek, More Real World Questions, More Real Word Answers. And that's exactly where we're going to start, because David wrote a piece where he kind of answered uh, if you will, a question that was raised about the role of tech and worship. So somebody asked the question, some people say the Bible on the phone is not a good Bible and that it's a fake, but the Bible is hard copy is the, but the Bible in hard copy is the real Bible. Is that true? 
So, David, we're going to start with that question, but first, the warmest of welcomes. And hey, I can look at my app on my phone and find out what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. Just tell me, is tomorrow going to be a good day? Because you got there before me. Hey, listen, it's always a good day wherever I am. I, me- I remember a, a, an old lady in the north of Scotland that my wife said to her one time, oh, it's a terrible day. It was pouring down rain and everything. And she said, there's only one terrible day, and that's the day of judgment. <laughs> I thought, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, hey, listen, Janet, you you know, you were talking about the Jews being the chosen people, and of course, I absolutely agree, and it was fascinating what you were saying earlier. But I should also point out that God chose the Celts. You know, you mentioned the Celts, and uh, there, there was a theory going around that we're one of the lost tribes of Israel. Well, I'm, I'm, in, in that case, we're very lost. But um, uh, there's a, you know, there's... Uh, I, I remember I was speaking to a friend who was Jewish, who was Scottish, and I said, "You got the you got the double blessing." You know, uh. <laughs> well, that's that would be interesting. I'd love to be able to have a seder meal with a Scottish Jew. I bet that would be fascinating. Mm-hmm. One of the first people I baptized in Robert Murray McShane's church in Dundee was uh, uh, a Jewish lady from Seattle, actually. Wow, who had become a Christian and coming to Scotland, so that was lovely. Um, yeah, and you know, you're mentioning the ass book. It's really interesting. I was out at a meeting last night. Well, actually, uh, it would be just about. I would. It's this time your time. So if I go back 24 hours to where you guys are, and I and I keep making this joke about you being backward, but I can't resist it. <laughs> but if I go back 24 hours, um, then uh, uh, you know I can. Oh, by the way, I. Please, please, you, you've sent us Taylor Swift to Australia. Can you oh. take her back? Apparently, she's going to save your election and save the world. And yeah, I, but she's ruining football. Get. Okay, she's ruining it's football. We- so keep her there. It's a, it's a. Was there anything to ruin? No, sorry, I better not go there. That's one <laughs> subject I do not want to go near because I'll upset everybody. But, but um, <laughs> you know, I've just put out a pod, uh, my my um, quantum. It just literally went out this morning, and it has a little clip from John Cleese about why. Uh, just teasing Americans about American football. But uh, again, we won't go there. But last night I went to this church. And the reason I went was their youth group, one of the guys or their evangelism group said to their pastor, hey, I've been reading this book called Ask by a guy called David Robertson. If he ever comes to Australia, can we have him come up here? And the the pastor laughed and he said, come to Australia. He lives in Newcastle, which was like 20 kilometers away. <laughs> he said, you are kidding me. So I was out um, just spending time with them. Uh, they're a wonderful church, and they do precisely what I'm trying to do. They hold cafes, and people come and mm. ask questions. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great way to discuss the gospel. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think it's fabulous. And not only that, but I think it's so, it so replicates the approach of the New Testament. It's going out among the people and just listening with the ears on your heart to the kinds of questions that are being asked. So I thought this question from Seek, by the way, all your books are excellent, and there will be a third, ladies and gentlemen, should the Lord tarry, and I'm looking forward to that as well. But I love this question because, you know, so often in a church service, the pastor will say, take out your Bibles or your phones, and you'll see nowadays, in the States anyway, an equal distribution of both. Um, I'm about the content. I'm not about the medium or the platform, but this is an intriguing question. So share with our friends what your perspective is on if you've got the Bible on the phone, particularly, David, as a pastor. If someone were to take out their phone when you were in Dundee, would that have bothered you if they didn't pull out their copy of the New King James? Uh, not really, because we use the NIV anyway, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So uh, they could they could use whatever they want. That's not the issue. So the, the, in the answer to the question, I said, of course, the Bible on the phone is not a fake because the Bible didn't actually come to us as a book. I mean, the printing press wasn't until the 16th century. But um, I, I do think we need to th think about this a little bit carefully because there are pros and cons of having your Bible on your phone. Mm -hmm. So even as I talk to you, I'm sitting here with my phone in my hand and it's got my Bible on it. Now, the trouble is I can be talking to you and I can have my Bible. I could have it here as a reference thing because I haven't quite, I, I'm not all that tech savvy. So I haven't quite worked out how to talk to you on my computer and have a Bible up. <laughs> but I've got my Bible on my phone uh, so you won't hear me rustling if I have to look up verses because I haven't memorized it all. Hmm. And if, uh, but the trouble is, what if uh, a tweet comes up? Mm. What if, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, 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 a message comes up? It's so distracting. And I think we, we scroll through the Bible as well and that's on phone. And that's one of the problems. I think we need to slow down, and I think a printed Bible helps you slow down. That's my own view. I, I think it is a brilliant observation, and I agree with you a thousand percent. Let me also, because the part of the question included is the King James Bible, the only true Bible, the only true version of the Bible, and you responded to that as well. And that's often a conversation, sometimes robust here in the States. I'd like our friends to hear your response. David Robertson is with us all the way from tomorrow, or in other words, he joins us from Australia, Newcastle to be precise, back after this. Pastor, apologist, blogger, preacher, speaker, you name it, that's who David Robertson is. And I'm just thrilled that he is willing to join me on the other side of the globe. And I thank God for this technology, by the way, because it really reminds us of the unity when we stand together under the shibboleth. Don't you love that old-fashioned word? It means banner of Jesus Christ. And so there he is preaching the gospel wherever and whenever he can in Australia. And the truth that he speaks resonates to all four corners of the globe, regardless of where he is currently stationed. But I want to go back to this question. By the way, if you haven't read Ask, if you haven't read Seek, these are fabulous books. I love books that really make you stop and think. It goes back to that old important adage that you can't just believe, you have to know what you believe and why you believe it. How else can we take the director from the book of Jude to contend for the faith if we don't know the reasons we believe? and what we believe in. But when we're out in the marketplace, particularly in a post-truth world, more and more you're going to be asked tougher and tougher questions. So you'd better be able to give a reason for that hope that resides within you. So this question came up about the Bible and on having it on your phone. You were just spot on. I think the propensity is we wander. We all have a problem with wandering in our prayer life and our quiet time. That's just who we are. We get distracted. And if it's on your phone and boop, up pops a headline or a tweet in the middle of the church service, you're, the temptation might be overwhelming to get out of the word and back into the world. And so having that printed paper is much better to kind of dial down the distractives. Nothing wrong. It is the whole truth in that app. But just be cognizant that there are some sand traps in the middle of all of this. But part of the question that was also asked was this idea about the King James Version, which is... You and I love history, David, and so just how that version of Scripture came to be is very interesting. And Scotland, by the way, for the record, ladies and gentlemen, plays a role in all of this because King James, the King James you're referring to, happened to be the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, and eventually would become the King of England and would 
without shedding one drop of blood, unite England and Scotland together, which was history in and of itself. But there is an adherence, and I don't know if it's the Shakespearean lilt of the words that somehow this is a version that transcends all other versions. And back to 1611, your take on this. Yeah, um, it's very interesting. You know, you you mentioned the word shibboleth, and of course that's from the the biblical story about people pronouncing it so that um, they could find out if they were, you know, the true Israelites or not. <laughs> and I find, um, you know, I, th- I want to do the same test. I basically want to say to people, can you say loch? And if they say lock or lock, uh, no, they're doomed. They're doomed, you know, exactly. They're, they're doomed, they're done. But loch, you know, you've got to be able to with that. Um, yeah, the King James Version. Look, absolutely fabulous version. Ironically, when it came out, there were people who objected because, you know, the Geneva Bible or um, uh, Tyndale's version or whatever, and they said, what are we doing with this modern, newfangled version? But the King James Version is a remarkable version, and it's really, along with Shakespeare, I think, the foundational stone of the English language. Mm. However, the Bible wasn't written in English. You know, sometimes people talk as though the King James Version was handed down on tablets of stone from heaven. And it wasn't. It's a translation. And language changes. So the Westminster Confession talks about the Bible being in the vulgar tongue. And vulgar there doesn't mean what we have so much in our society, swearing and everything else. It just means common or normal. And so I would say there are very few people who speak in King James English, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and therefore it's a good reference Bible to have in some ways. Uh, the poetry in in Isaiah, for example, is stunning. But I would suggest that most of us need uh, a contemporary English version that's accurate. And we thank the Lord that there are many of them, you know, and we can always compare as well. So we are richly blessed that there are 7,100 languages in the world, I think I put into that, and the Bible's been translated in fuller part into more than half of those, which cover about 97% of all people. 80% of all people have the Bible in full. And we have a plethora. By the way, um, can I just say this? Let's mix up football, uh, American football. We'll, we'll, we'll allow you to call it that. Um, and the World Series, and we'll allow you to call it that, even though it only involves one country. Um, but let's mix that up with how churches react. And I saw an astounding clip that's doing the rounds on YouTube, and I didn't think it was for real. Turns out it is for real. A church in Ohio oh, yes, a sir—themed service. Mm-hmm. And they did a, a drop kick of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, any Muslim watching that would be highly offended, not because it's the Bible, not because it's it was the Quran. Or the Quran, you're dead if you do that, but because they would regard the Bible as a holy book and could not believe that Christians would treat it with such disrespect. And I would say I'm, I'm very much inclined to agree with that. The Bible's not a prop to our show. You know, the Bible is the word of God and we don't reverence the book, but we do reverence the God who gave it. And we do treat it with respect, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's also part of having a physical copy. I mean, I'm, I'm sounding like a grumpy old man, but Mm -mm. I bought a a leather version uh, in with the the black cover and so on, on really nice paper. And it cost me maybe a hundred dollars, but you know, I go through loads of books. I spend lots of money. I'd spend $100 on a meal, uh, $100 on the Word of God. I, I look after it. I love 
I mean, in the morning, I'm tempted. I get up. I'm just going to look at my phone and read the scriptures. But I do find, I'm, A, I'm distracted. B, I skim read. Mm. When I open up the Bible, place it on my table or on my knee, it just, there's just something about it. I bow my head and I, 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 I'm able to concentrate and focus on God more. So, yeah. and I don't care if it's the King James or whatever version, as long as you can understand it. Amen. Amen. Let me go back to the friends who don't know. This was a church that wanted to be relevant. And so they had a big Super Bowl party. And part of the festivities, I guess you'd call them, in the church was having a member of the staff literally have, uh, like you said, a ball up for a, a hit for going into the end zone, right? We're going for the extra point. This, the Bible was set up, pitched, like it center pitches it, right? And the ball was set up, and then the staff member literally kicked the Bible through the goalpost. I grew up where you wouldn't even put anything on top of the Bible on your desk. You reverenced it to the point where nothing else sat on top of the Bible. Fallen a long way. Back after this. We live in a culture that's infatuated with the latest fads, but Ephesians 4.15 calls for us to be stable. No longer infants, Paul said, tossed about by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching. On In the Market, we're exposing current trends and finding our balance by standing on the solid foundation of God's Word. To get exclusive behind-the-scenes information and benefits, become a partial partner. Call 877-JANET58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Ecocide as a word is becoming more, it's becoming better known around the world and the concept is generally mass damage and destruction of nature. Um, but legally speaking, um, what our organisation and other collaborators aim to do is to have this recognised legally as a serious crime. Because one of the issues that sort of pervades all of this discussion is that we have a kind of cultural, very ingrained habit of not taking damage to nature as seriously as we take damage to people and property. Um, and that, I mean, you know, if you're campaigning for human rights, at least you know mass murder, torture, all of these things are serious crimes. But there's no equivalent in the environmental space. Um, and so, and, and you know, unlike a, an international crime like genocide that in, involves a specific intent, with ecocide, what we see is actually what people are trying to do, what businesses are trying to do, is make money, is, you know, is farm, is fish, is do all of these things that are... Um, you know, producing energy and so on um, as well. But what's, it, what's missing is the awareness and the conscience around the side effects, around the collateral damage that happens with that. How dare they fish? How dare they farm? Okay, we've talked about this before, this idea of ecocide, death of the environment. And this particular advocate who was speaking in Davos at the World Economic Forum really and truly wants this to be a vaulted crime, that in fact their price should be paid for those who want to make money and want to fish and farm. But this, I, I love stories like this. I don't love the, the babble with which she speaks. It's vacuous. It makes no sense whatsoever. But I'll tell you what it does do. It just affirms, again, if you are going through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another, stuff like this just goes back and puts another imprimatur of authenticity and the word of God. The writer of Ecclesiastes said there's nothing new under the sun, and there truly is not. So what is happening here, I think, is something that you and I could read with clarity when Paul was writing his letter to the church at Rome. And you don't have to go any farther than the first chapter to understand the alienation of affections, if I can use a legal term here. David, talk to me about this. This was one of your blogs as well. Like I said, I get excited because not because of the 
vacuous nature of her comments and the unsustainability, <laughs> pun on environment there, of her concepts. But the reality that this shows that it, it really is a religion. This really is worshiping the created rather than the creator. Talk to me about this. Yeah, look, this is a really, really important subject. I mean, just to uh, rewind a little bit in terms of, you know, using the Bible and stuff. I mean, I know that you're absolutely stunned at my in-depth knowledge of American sport and politics and everything else. <laughs> but um, it's, do you know, there's an astonishing thing. What happens when a country rejects a Bible? This is part of it, but something mm -hmm. else is part of it. I have just seen the prosecutor, I believe her name is Fanny Willis mm -hmm. in uh, a Donald Trump case, mm -hmm. being interrogated and saying, actually saying as a lawyer, the testimony of one witness is evidence, is sufficient evidence. Hmm. And I'm going, wow, there's a reason the Bible said you need two. You know, it, 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 it's just extraordinary when we turn away from God's word. And this is happening here. So I think the bigger picture on the, is, is this. You've got two things, I think, combining. The first is, as you put it, the the kind of green religion, the fantasy view, you know, the, the, the not just Mother Earth, but Gaia, the Gaia hypothesis mm -hmm. and everything. And that human beings, you know, which is just, Jan, you and I talking just now, we're emitting carbon, you know, we're killing the planet. <laughs> when I go out, you know, and I tread on a cockroach, you know, I, I'm killing the planet. You know, if, if I, uh, I mean, I cycle to work, so that at least they'll, they'll be happy for me with that. Uh, <laughs> but if I get, get in my car, you know, and so they, they, and the trouble is this religion, the way it's affected in terms of our politicians is this. In the old days, which you and I both remember, uh, people got into politics, a lot of people got into politics after they had a real job. You know, so in the British Parliament, you'd have miners, you'd have farmers, you'd have, you know, lots of different people. Now what's happening is people are going to university, they're studying PPE or business something or or woke theory, you know, in the, in the universe or something like that. And then they come out and they join uh, a political organization and they're a staffer or whatever and then they become politicians and then they end up in government in Washington or in Brussels or in London or Edinburgh or whatever and they start making policies about farming knowing literally nothing knowing not a thing so oh cows emit methane so let's kill say say Ireland 200,000 cows mm -hmm. the Netherlands the most successful farming country in the world, tiny country, the second biggest exporter of agricultural produce in a world where people still starve. And the Netherlands, the European Union says, hey, guys, you need to shut down some of your farms so we can reach our net zero target. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And farmers are revolting all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in France, in Germany, in Wales, in, in, all, all over Europe, because... As they put it very simply, no farmers, no food. And I, I think that this kind of ecocide thing, it's, look, as Christians, we've been saying a long, long time, the culture just caught up with us, that we should look after the environment. There are a whole series of Old Testament laws that are tied in with that. And there's a basic principle in the New Testament as well. But the idea that humans are just animals that we can swat away or, you know, no fishing. You're kidding me. You know, no, uh, I mean, I've, I grew up on a farm and 
these people utterly amaze me. They're people who live their lives in cafes and artificial scenarios, telling people who do dirty work in the real world, no, 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 this is not the way you are to behave. And it's, I think the whole farming thing is a, uh, how will I put it? Um, it's a sign of our removal from biblical ideas of mm -hmm. stewardship. I think only 2% of people in the US are now involved in farming. Well, they're, in, you know, they're incredibly valuable 2% of people. And I think farming is such an honorable profession. And I, I wish that the green religion would get back to being concerned about the environment and less mm -hmm. being concerned mm -hmm. about wind farms and the destruction of the human race, which yeah. is what it is. They really, the trans stuff is about the destruction of the human race. I think gay marriage is, and I also think this whole green religion is about the destruction of the human race. Couldn't agree more. In fact, let me put it this way. I think it's a dismantling of the Genesis mandate. So when, and the, this is where the term human exceptionalism comes into play. When we read the story of creation, there are a couple of things that become self-evident. First of all, the only part of God's creation that is made, God created it all, but the Bible says with clarity, the only part of creation made in his image is you and me. That by default makes us exceptional, not arrogant, not prideful, exceptional. When God chooses to leave the throne room of heaven and come to earth, he doesn't come as a plant. He comes as a man because he wants men to be saved. And so he takes on the form of a human. Human exceptionalism is extremely important. What these people advocating this new earth religion is basically saying that a snail and a rat and a rabbit and a boy are all morally equivalent. They are not. Biblically, they are not. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't good stewards and we don't take care exactly as Adam and Eve were directed to do in the garden, but it doesn't mean that morally they're all on the same plane. And so when you get this person um, obloviating at uh, Davos saying that basically it should be a crime against the environment and we should put it in the same level as a human rights violation, she is making the flawed observation that there is a moral equivalency there, thereby violating the Genesis mandate of the human exceptional place we have in creation. So you talked about the protests. I have to tell you, I think in the States, this story is being woefully underreported. And I want our friends to understand because it's monolithic on the European continent. So this is all about pushing back against the EU and their consideration that they think farmers make up about 11 percent of the EU's greenhouse gas emission, uh, which the EU wants to curb by revamping its common agricultural policy. And that's a yearly subsidy system that's worth about 60 billion dollars. So under this new policy, which are part of, excuse me, the European Green Deal, it aims to make a block climate neutral by 2050. We've heard this all the time. John Kerry, special envoy for the president on climate change, goes to Davos, talks about this happening by 2050. This is an arbitrary date whereby they want a zero, uh, zero carbon emissions, right? This is the goal, stated goal. It's never going to happen, by the way, but they just keep saying it and saying it. But what they want to do then is they want the farmers, <laughs> excuse me, to devote at least 4% of their land to nonprofit features. They also have to carry out crop rotations and they have to reduce fertilizer use by at least 20%. So you've got the government telling the farmers how to tend their land. Uh, unless the government is made up of farmers, I would leave 
caring for the land up to the farmers, not the professional politicians. So what these farmers have been doing in Belgium and in France and in Spain and in Poland is they've been lining their tractors up, going down the road, blocking traffic and showing a a force. And they're reminding these governments, by the way, that you don't have farmers, you don't have food. In fact, very often the banners are no farmers, no food. And what they're saying to the government is, don't tell us how to take care of our farms. Built on the fallacious, non-scientific fallacy that somehow you've got emissions uh, with farming that need to be eradicated. So let's just start going after the farmers. Remember, the people going after the farmers are the same people that want you to eat insects, by the way. Think that you shouldn't have uh, cows because of the methane problem. But even more insidiously, and again, this is what happens. Bad ideas have bad consequences. If you do not believe in human exceptionalism, then we have too many people on the planet. Man then becomes the great polluter, not the potential producer that God designed him to be. So Bill Gates and others just think we need to completely start reducing the population. Should we start with the Gates household? I mean, where would you like that to begin, by the way? So this is the juxtaposition that the Book of Romans talks about, that they've changed their affections. They're no longer worshiping God but they're worshiping the creature instead. Back after this. We're visiting with David Robertson, who joins us from Newcastle in Australia. How kind of him to do that, by the way. And he's all about the gospel, always has been, by the way. When he wasn't pastoring in Dundee, Scotland, he's now down in Australia, and he's doing work there to advance the kingdom. Uh, talking to people wherever the Lord opens the doors, using media and education and conferences and cafes to be able to be able to share the gospel, and it does it in such a wonderfully winsome way. So he puts out a blog. He's got a podcast. It's excellent. A pod, uh, a, a blog, and also he's on Twitter. All of these are wonderful venues for you to follow David as he's expressing some of his thoughts. And he's written several books. The most recent is called Seek More. Real World Answers, More Real Word Answers. Absolutely fabulous book. It follows on the heels of Ask, which was the first in the series, and there will hopefully be a third one coming soon. Um, So many things I want to ask you in this last segment. Um, Let me just ask you first, and I think you and I share the same position on the Royals, but every time the reality hits the Royals, I mean, somehow when you don't have to brush your own teeth or make your own bed or clean your own bathroom, you are just by experience a little bit detached from reality. But then it goes, it reminds me again of the poet and the scriptures that talk about man's appointment with death. Whether you're a prince or a pauper, we all have an appointment with death. And the royals have had some stunning news about health recently. Whatever the experiences that put Catherine in the hospital, she had a hospital stay for two weeks. That's serious by anybody's measure. And then we'll make no public appearances until after Easter. So whatever she's gone through, it's been serious. And then for King Charles, who wanted to herald the fact that he had some issues with his prostate and he was going to get that taken care of, now has a not publicly disclosed form of cancer, and he's now getting treatments. Uh, He showed up at church in Sangringham last Sunday, by the way, using his umbrella as kind of a walking stick to get into church. But I've had these private thoughts about when one is a king, does it cause one to ponder their own mortality? I mean, is there the sense that somehow being royalty, you might miss your appointment with death? And what does it mean when a king now has to face his own mortality? And when we hear these headlines emblazoned all over the globe, it must cause other people to realize that we have, exactly as the scripture says, it is appointed on demand once to die, 
And after that comes the judgment. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that, you know, you'll have listeners who, as they're listening, they'll have cancer. And one of the things about cancer is it's the great equalizer. Hmm. You know, uh, well, I, I would say death is the ultimate equalizer because we brought nothing into this world. We take nothing out of it. And uh, I think that, I mean, obviously, I don't know King Charles. Um, I, we, we know that his mother was a believer. We know that he's, he's heard the gospel and so on. But there must be something very, very bittersweet within a year of you becoming king, something mm -hmm. you've been waiting for for decades, you have cancer. Now, many forms of cancer are curable, but what is not curable is the fact that you're going to die. And to be honest, the age that he is, that's likely to be sooner rather than later. Uh, and, and all of us get older. I mean, I know when you're, you're 17 or 25, you think you're going to live forever, you know, and you sing about hope I die before I get old, but you don't really mean that. Mm. Um, but we all die. I mean, it, there's that extraordinary thing. And I've just been rewatching Lord of the Rings, the mm. extended versions, you know, which means 12 hours of just, but I love them. <laughs> and I love that bit with, um, the, with the elves where the, the elfish princess, if she's going to go and stay and be with a human, she's going to become mortal. And, you know, she will know sorrow because her husband will eventually die. And, but she's prepared to pay that price because she can be with him and have a child and all the rest of it. And I just think that uh, this is counterintuitive to our culture. In fact, it fits in with what we were saying before. People basically, we're just a bunch of carbons. Mm -hmm. You know, what does it matter? As long as we're, you know, eco-efficient, you know, get rid of human beings. But human beings are made in God's image and we're, we're made to be eternal beings and to take care of the world. And I think that death is something that made Jesus weep and made Jesus angry. I think death is our enemy, but death has been defeated by Christ. And for Christ or for Joe Bloggs in Mississippi or whoever's listening to this, you ain't got no hope without Christ. But with Christ, you've got absolute certain hope. You know, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And, and I just think that it's like a funeral. It's like, I mean, my uh, daughter's father-in-law uh, just died this week and we're going to the funeral on Monday. Mm. Lovely, lovely, lovely believer. And it's bittersweet. It's a loss for his family and, and tremendous loss and pain. And Christians feel pain too. But it's gain for him. No more suffering, no more mm. sorrow. You know, no more of the nonsense that we talk about in this world. And I think that there's almost nothing. In fact, I can't think of anything that's more important than this. When you think how much money was spent on a thousand private jets flying into the <laughs> Super Bowl and people buying $10,000 seats and all that kind of stuff, that's the Super Bowl. What I give out in church on Sunday to a tiny congregation that we're seeking to build up, we Started with about 20. We've got about 40 now, and it's going the right direction, but very slowly, and that's fine. But I almost want to say to people, now we've got something much, much better. I just put up a sign, actually, outside our church saying, God will be speaking here on Sunday. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's the great. ultimate guest. And it's true. He will. It's through his word. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and listen, I, I'm deeply conscious of people listening to this. Whatever suffering you face, and we're all going to face death, for the Christian... 
the day of our death is the greatest day of our life. Mm. And that's a beautiful and wonderful thought. Yeah. What a note to end on, David. Thank you for that. I so appreciate it. I want to tell our friends, and you referenced this earlier, brand new blog up, brand new podcast and information. So you can follow it very easily. I've got a link to the We Flee. But remember, David just doesn't have a blog or a podcast, but he writes, by the way, he's on Twitter as well. And follow him because he has some very astute insights. This is a this is an apologist. He loves to contend for the faith. And he wisely picks up on what's happening in the world and very often uses it as a springboard for you and I to be able to understand, has God spoken on this? Is this a way to start a conversation with someone in a cafe about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then in addition to that, David does Bible studies and he's currently working through the book of Acts, my favorite book, by the way, in the New Testament. And there's so much that he has to say about the book of Acts. So all of that can be found at theweeflee.com, theweeflee.com. So check it out. David, thank you so much. Always, I love our conversations and already look forward to the next one. And I want to remind you, friends, we are listener-supported radio. Conversations like the one David and I just had happen because you pray and because you give. So if you would like to financially support the program, call 877-JANET-58, 877-JANET-58, or online at In the Market with Janet Partial. See you next time.